This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Ron Blue on Today in the Word radio. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. In the mornings, we're going to look at three prophets. This morning, Isaiah. Next chance, we'll look at Jonah and then Haggai. So turn to the clean parts of your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And while you're finding your place again, I just thank God for every one of you and for the delight it is to see you all in action. I rejoice in this opportunity to share this time at Moody Week. Okay, I always like to talk to the author before we look at the book, so let's bow in prayer once more for just a minute. Lord, we do pause again this morning to praise you, to glorify you, to thank you for this blessing. I thank you for the the privilege of being here with these dear brethren and for the way you've worked already in our time together. We sense your presence here, and we worship you. And now, God, speak to us from your word. We acknowledge our dependence upon you. We realize that spiritual work is beyond us. And we want that to be done for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. It was early spring, foggy morning. A ragtag group of men called the Green Volunteers moved on Fort Ticonderoga. They crawled over the walls. About four o'clock in the morning, the guards were even asleep. And they captured the first guard in his sleep, tied him up, and marched up the stairs to the officer's headquarters. And they barged in. And Nathan Hale cried out, in the name of freedom, And to the God Almighty, surrender. These poor officers were fast asleep, blinked their eyes, and they'd taken Fort Ticonderoga from the British. Weeks later, 
a group gathered together in Philadelphia to sign the Declaration of Independence. They were on the roll, and it was God's will to give a land freedom. We enjoy that today. We are blessed beyond measure to live in a country where there is freedom. We should rejoice. The Declaration of Independence. Now, I'd like to reverse that in this morning session. I think we need to sign a new declaration, a declaration of dependence. He said, in the name of the Most High God. And I think we've lost some of that in our country. I thank God for a group like this. What a blessing it is, it is to see people who love and honor the Lord. So in these three morning sessions from the prophets, we need to listen to what they have to say in a new declaration of dependence on him in God. We trust. Let's take a look at this psalm. I mean, this, uh, this prophet. Last night we looked at Psalm 2 to give you vision, and Isaiah starts with that very word, the vision. You should be prepared for this. This is the vision of Isaiah, and the prophet will parallel what we saw last night in Psalm 2. Let's read the opening verses. Jump to verse 2. Listen, O heavens, hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. And I need to pause for a second. I hope you come to Moody Week not to hear men. God forbid that we focus on the people behind this desk. It's what's on the desk that counts. God speaks from his word. The Lord speaks here, and here's what God says. Sons I have reared and brought up. They have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner. A donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. Do you hear what he says? Dead in the head, dark in the heart. Verse 9, unless the Lord of hosts had left a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You know, we live in an age where sin seems to abound. And again, as I said last night, we are in a little paradise here, and thank God that we can do this. But this is not the real world. Isaiah does the very th same thing that the psalmist did. He looks at the world, and God begins to speak to him about the problems of his age. And I'd like for you to jump now to chapter 5, and we're going to move very quickly. He identifies more clearly than the psalmist does the specific sins of that age in Judah. Isaiah, the prophet, outlines these from the word of the Lord. And I'd like for us to very quickly slip through these six woes. In chapter 5, there are six woes, and if you're keeping notes, you will see the sinful world in which we live, and they outline the sins. Woe, 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 woe. And that's not stop, horse. <laughs> this is W-O-E. Woe, 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 
whoa, put them down. Here we go. Six woes. And I think you will agree that as you look at the world around us today, in what was once a very godly nation, we've slipped, we're sliding, and we're falling to the same trap that the people of Israel and Judah fell into. Let's look at it. Look at verse 8. We'll jump right in at the first woe. Verse 8 of chapter 5. Woe, first of all, to those who add house to house and join field to field until there's no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. And he goes on. What is this sin? The first woe, add house to house, field to field. You know what that woe is? It's the sin of possessions. The sin of possessions. It's called materialism. Boy, I appreciated so much what Dr. Stoll had to say yesterday in our morning worship service. We live in a nation that's filled with materialism. Do you happen to read the philosophical part of your newspaper? The funny pages? Do you read that part? <laughs> There's a guy in there that really knows us. His name is Charles Schultz. You ever read that one? Peanuts. Oh, man, he, he's got his finger on the pulse. Can you picture this one? Charlie Brown, his balloon head. Over here's Lucy. Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown says to Lucy, Lucy, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you see Lucy with her stubby little hands? Give? I want to get, get, get. <laughs> That's us. Give me, give me, give me, get. That's the age we live in. Now, please, as Dr. Stoll wisely said, it's not wrong to have possessions. That's not the point. Materialism is not what you have. It's what has you. And that's the danger. That's the sin, to let those things control us. God forbid that we let that happen. Look at the second wall. Verse 8. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 11. Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. And their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute, and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. That is the sin of pleasure. Pleasure. It's called hedonism. H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M. Hedonism comes from the Greek word hedone, meaning pleasure. Now, again, it's not wrong to have some pleasure. Is it? I hope not. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this conference. I love it. I can remember when I grew up there in Russell, Iowa. For some reason, I thought that the rules to be spiritual went like this. No, 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 no. We'd sing the chorus, I have the joy. <laughs> it was terrible. Looked like we'd been weaned on a dill pickle. No way. We can enjoy life. Well, what is hedonism? I'll tell you what it is. It's the philosophy that says pleasure is the chief end of man. It's called the Playboy philosophy in this country. And mind you, Playboy is not just a slick, girly magazine. It is a philosophy of life. It says, if it feels good, do it. Don't give a hang about anybody else. You enjoy yourself. It's killing us. It's killing us. Third wall, verse 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood 
and sin as if with cart ropes, who say, let him make speed. Let him hasten his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. There's the sin of presumption. Presumption. It's called secular humanism. And that is rampant in our country. We don't say pull the cart with ropes. We say pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I mean, we can do it. Who needs God? You know, I, I saw a film for missions not too long ago, and it was a good film, and it really touched my heart for the needs of the world, physical needs primarily. The title, though, bothered me. Empty bellies have no ears. That's not really true. Now, the point was well taken. We need to care about people who are starving. There are people who are starving today. And I don't want to ruin your time tonight with the ice cream, but... <laughs> There are people who have needs, but the, the, the title is erroneous. Empty bellies do have ears. People who are hurting have ears. They will hear. I find the fat cats of Dallas, Texas, are the ones that don't have the ears. They say, who needs God? Let them speak and I'll listen. It's tragic. Tragic. Humanism. I had a prof in my graduate work there at University of Texas in Arlington. Grew up in a Mennonite background. He knew everything there was about the gospel. Got to talk to Malone in a project we were doing for the Ford Foundation on a field study. And I talked to him under a tree there in depth. That's where I discovered his background. But he was so profane, he'd used profanity in class. Really bothered me. He cleaned up his act while he talked to me. But I asked him, I said, well, what do you think about life? What do you think about life after death? You think there is life after death? I right, know, he said. He said, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, we're just like the animals. I said, do you mean to me to tell me that I'm just like a dog? He said, well, we have the benefit of speech. Isn't that great? <laughs> Here's a man who knew about God, but has turned his back on him and has gone the route of secular humanism. We're a bunch of animals. We're not different from anyone else. Tragic. And that's rampant. We have to hustle. The next wall. Look at verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's the sin of perversion. Relativism. No absolutes. It's all relative. It's not true. There are absolutes. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. Good is good. Evil is evil. But they're messing it all up. Look at verse 21. The fifth wall. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Of course, you know that sin. That's the sin of pride. Very subtle sin, isn't it? You ever notice how pride is spelled? P-R-I-D-E. That's the problem right there. I. Oh, I, I love humble people. And there's one that was mentioned earlier this morning that I dearly love. J. Vernon McGee. Some of you know him. Graduate of Dallas Seminary, I must point out. <laughs> I love that man. I can still see him at a banquet we had down there at Dallas, and the introduction was long. He scraped the Milky Way, telling about all these wonderful things that J. Vernon McGee had done, and he's done a lot. But J. Vernon McGee, Dr. McGee, got up to the microphone after that long introduction and said one statement. He said, That's sort of like perfume. It's to be smelled, not swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that guy. 
I love him. You know, he, he, he is a scholar in Greek, I discovered. A scholar. And I said to him, you know, I never sense that when you speak. Oh, it says, I'll work at that. I'll work at that. He says, I can remember preachers that come and preach at seminary and always preach down at us. I vowed I would always preach up to my audience. And that's why he says, I'm just a poor country preacher boy. You ever hear him say? <laughs> or say, I'm not too sure about this. He's sure. Let me <laughs> I'm not too humble servant of God. And then finally, number six, verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. That's the sin of persecution. Persecution. Imperialism. Could I say it very frankly? Communism fits right there. Taking away the rights of the ones who are in the right. I've been in Latin America. Friends, they're out to take Latin America. I want you to know it. There is the Cuban connection. And Nicaragua is just the first of the prizes thereafter of all Central America. They're working like mad to take Latin America. They're out to take us, friends. The fastest growing movement in the world today is communism. They control two billion, control two billion of the world's five billion right now. And what do they do? Would to God it were communism where everyone had things in common. That's not what happens. They never get to the goal that Marx set. And that's a good goal, to have all things in common. They never get there. It stops at the dictatorship of the proletariat. And they take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Well, we live in a sinful world. And again, it's a dark picture. And I thank God he never stops with that dark picture. Now, I'd like to stop, though, and get practical for just a second. You say, well, what do you want me to do about this, Ron? I realize it's a sinful world. Well, I'm on a campaign. I have in my hands here one of the neatest deck of cards I've ever seen in my life. They're called World Prayer Cards. Operation Mobilization is taken from the book Operation World, the nations that have the greatest spiritual need, that are covered with these sins. Before I mention these nations and adopting these nations, however, could I plead with all of you, let's adopt our nation in daily prayer. Could, could you join with me in that commitment to the Lord that every single day from now on, we will remember to adopt our nation in prayer that God would spare us from the continued evil and erosion that's taking place. But I'd like for you to pray for the rest of the world. These little cards are neat. For example, the one on the top of the deck I have here is Burma. Has a little map to find the country, some data about that country. Then on the reverse side are some continuing prayer requests for that country. You want to do something for the world? I'll tell you what you can do. You don't have to move an inch from where you are right now to talk to the Lord about those nations and say, Lord, help them to get the gospel. These are nations you don't often hear a lot about because many of those nations, you can't even get missionaries in there. But you can touch the nation in prayer. Very quickly, can you guess, if you know, don't tell me, but if you don't know, can you guess which nation has the fewest number of believers per population of those cards that listed? What would you guess? Anybody take a guess. Bangladesh is a very good guess that's in here. All right, give me another one. What was the one here? Somebody's got it back. I think he knew. <laughs> Turkey is right. 
You've got it. One person in every 800,000 know the Lord in Turkey. And when was the last time you prayed for that nation? Yeah, I know, Thanksgiving. Don't tell me that. <laughs> you pray for Turkey then, I know. No, seriously, I'd like to give you these cards. I'll be right down here afterwards. Let's move on. We've looked at our world, and you'll, you'll see the parallel now. God never stops with the condemnation on the world. In fact, Isaiah is a fascinating book. It's like the little Bible, 66 chapters, just like there are 66 books in the Bible. You know how it's divided? The very same way as the Bible. 39 chapters of God's condemnation. But it follows with 27 chapters. We might call it the New Testament of God's consolation. And even in this section of condemnation, he always gives a shaft of light. So let's move on. Watch this. Chapter 6. Look at chapter 6. We will hustle. Watch this. A sinful world. Here is a sovereign Lord. He has not abandoned us. Verse 1, in the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Do you see his preeminence? I don't know how the Lord puts it together so beautifully. If you were here for the first session this morning, Dr. Rennie Showers talked about the holiness of God and even used this patch. I said, Lord, you're so wonderful. You put the program together. Do you see the Lord? High, exalted, lifted up. We must look at him today. Seraphim, and he talked about these who take care of the altar. They're burning with enthusiasm and, and uh, holiness for the Lord. But the seraphim are also the ones who attend to the burning altar. Let's look at these seraphim. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, I think, to keep from looking at the holiness of God. With two, he covered his feet to cover up his own unworthiness. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Contrary to the hymn writer, the idea of holy, holy, holy really does not relate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although they are all holy because Father, Son, Holy Spirit are God. This is the Hebrew way of emphasizing a quality. In Hebrew, you repeat the quality to emphasize it. You don't say very holy, you say kadosh, it is in Hebrew. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His preeminence, his purity. Look at his power, verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. You know, it's tragic in our nation. We've seemed to lost some of that reverence for God. We, let's not look at others, we tend to bring God down a few notches. It's the man upstairs, he's referred to like that. Or to bring man up a few notches. Really, we're not all that bad, are we? No, there's a vast gulf there. Only Christ can bridge that gulf. He is pure, he is holy. He is, as was pointed out this morning, different, distinct, unique, one of a kind. He's God, and he's still in control. Now, again, I want to be practical. Our problem is 
if we don't spend enough time alone in his presence. And don't look at me so piously. The greatest struggle in life I've discovered is to maintain a time alone with the Lord. For years, I couldn't figure that out. Why is this a struggle? I get the three meals in a day, get all this other stuff. How can this be? I think I figured out why. If Satan can get us there, he's got us. We're dead in the water. We can't pull this off without God's power, God's strength. So of course it's going to be a struggle. Don't be alarmed. <laughs> now I'm going to get very practical. In the last 24 hours, what about it? Here at Moody Week, have you had a time alone with the Lord? So easy to slip by that. So easy. For years I messed up. And I finally worked out a plan. I'd like to pass it on to you. I hope it helps. I don't even think devotions. I don't think quiet time. You know what I think? Appointment. I have an appointment with God. And if you keep an appointment book, boy, it's good to put it in there. Just put it in. It looks good in your schedule. You see that? God, I'm getting together with God. And that's exactly what we're doing. And I happen to be a morning person, so that's the time I've chosen. And here's how I work it. You might like to try it. Every morning, I find out what time I have to be on deck. I figured I want to be at breakfast at 7 a.m. this morning. That means I must get up at least one hour before whatever that is. One hour before, I'm up. Hit the deck. And can you believe it? It takes a half hour to get my body going. Can you believe that? Look at this thing on my shower, pull all 13 hairs over. I like that remark you had there about us balding people here. That wasn't very nice, you know. You've noticed those that are bald in the front are thinkers. Those that are bald in the back are lovers. Those that are bald all over just think they're lovers. <laughs> so, Now, I tell you, once I get my body going, then I still have that half hour and I look at it as an appointment. I want to be on time with the Lord. That's the way I look at it. So I can have that time alone with him. It has been revolutionary, absolutely revolutionary. I look over this, this audience right now and think what God could do if every one of us were plugged into him on a daily basis. We don't need any more people than this to turn the world upside down. Could turn this nation around. You wait for revival, that's the way it's going to come. I'm convinced. Every one of us plugged into God. And then watch him work. Watch him work here. Look at it. Here's the conclusion. We've seen a sinful world, our sovereign Lord. Now let's look at a simple servant. That's all it takes. Verses 5 through 8, and then we're going to close. Watch this. Verse 5. Then I said, woe. Here's number 7 in the list of woes. Woe is me. Of course, when you get in the presence of God, we feel so inadequate. You know why we feel inadequate? Because we are. We are inadequate. Look what he says. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh. But with the conviction comes the cleansing. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. 
do you realize that's what's happened to us who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? We're clean in Him. Oh. Raimundo Galan, one of our new converts over in Spain, came to me one day after he'd come to know the Lord, and he had a new Schofield Bible in Spanish, of course, but he held it up like this. He said, you know, Don Ronaldo, that's what they call me as man, Don Ronaldo. I sort of see it like this. God doesn't see me anymore. I'm hidden in Christ. Isn't that good? <laughs> I said, Raimundo, you've got it. That's it. The righteousness of Christ is ours. Now, what do we do with that? Conviction, cleansing. Here's the commission. Here's the call. We all know the verse. Verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You know, we complicate this thing, don't we? Do you realize that's all God wants to hear? Lord, it's not much. <laughs> Here I am, the Lord. Use me. Use me. We get our eyes fixed on the biggies, and we lose sight of the fact he wants to use every single one of us. Happened over 100 years ago. Young kid couldn't find a job in his hometown, northern Massachusetts, so he took off for Boston. Uncle Sam wasn't interested in him. No, not the government, Uncle Sam. Sam Holton wasn't too keen on his nephew, his, because the kid was brash, he was wild, he was a prankster. In fact, the kids back in his hometown had given him a nickname. They called him crazy. But finally, he took him in. Sam Holton took him in. He said, look, I'll give you a job in my shoe store on one condition. You've got to go to Sunday school and to church with us. The kid accepted that idea. He went. Didn't get a thing out of it. He'd sit there and sleep through the service. Sunday school wasn't a whole lot better. First Sunday school class he sat in, the teacher told him to turn to a passage. He couldn't find which end of the Bible this thing was, but the teacher very graciously took his unopened Bible that his uncle had given him, handed him his. It was open to the passage and found that passage himself again. And that impressed this young man. He began to be interested in that Sunday school teacher, but what really happened was when Edward Kimball, that Sunday school teacher, came to visit his students, and he'd get out there and find them, went to that shoe store. Back in the back room, he was putting shoes up. And Edward Kimball came to talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. And he wept over that young man's sins. Dwight Moody said to himself, I haven't shed one tear over my sins. Here's a man I barely know is weeping over my sin. And he put his trust in Christ. Bought a $5 ticket several years later to Chicago, Illinois. Got another job and another shoe store and the rest is history. What about Edward Kimball? Superstar, faithful servant of God. And here we are today, enjoying all of this blessing because a Sunday school teacher said to God, Lord, it's not much, but uh, here I am. Use me. Lord, again, I thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's direct, it's clear. 
And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to sense the excitement of serving you. Help every one of us, I pray, in these days to be alone with you in our time, that you might empower us, work in us. Above all, I pray right now for the nation in which we live. Protect our freedoms, O God. Help us to be a nation that honors you and glorifies you and worships you. And help us to be a part of that revival, to sweep across our land. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in World Missions and Intercultural Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.